Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's AgriTalks Ireland event, where we will be talking about the Brazilian experience in reducing the carbon footprint of livestock farming. My name is Dave Keating. I'm coming at you live from the heart of the EU quarter, and I'd like to extend a welcome to our viewers in Brazil, in Ireland, and indeed in the rest of the world. Now, today we're going to be talking about climate resiliency in the agricultural sector. We know that worldwide, this is being increasingly recognized as important, both for food safety purposes and market demands for bioenergy production. As temperatures rise, rainfall patterns change, and pests and diseases will mutate, and that presents increasing threats to food and farming systems. This webinar will focus on solutions to reduce the climate footprint of livestock raising, an issue of major concern to both Brazil and Ireland. In Ireland, agriculture accounts for over 37% of greenhouse gas emissions. Recently, the Irish government set a ceiling for emissions in the sector, requiring a 25% reduction by 2030 compared to 2018 levels. The Brazilian livestock sector has incorporated increasingly sustainable practices also to meet targets. In April 2021, the Brazilian Ministry of Agriculture, Livestock and Supply created the ABC Plus Plan for the adaptation of agriculture to low-carbon emissions systems. The observed trend in the Brazilian beef industry is to marginally increase the herd while reducing the grazing areas. We're also going to hear about the Carbon Neutral Beef brand from the Brazilian Agricultural Research Corporation, a seal which certifies beef produced using systems that neutralize methane gas emissions. So let me now introduce our Irish and Brazilian panelists. We have with us here Paul Crossan, Beef Enterprise Leader at TGASC, Agriculture and the Food Development Authority. We have Tommy Boland, Associate Dean of Research, Innovation and Impact at the School of Agriculture and Food Science at the University College Dublin. We have Mariana de Arajao Pereira, Senior Researcher at Embrapa, the Brazilian Agricultural Research Corporation. And we have Luisa Buchato, Executive Manager of the Brazilian Roundtable on Sustainable Livestock. Thanks so much to all of you for joining us. Today, uh, I should also note that uh, Dr. Gracie Verde Silva, uh, the Executive Sustainability Manager of Minerva Foods, was unfortunately not able to join us today. So, uh, you'll be able at home to ask your questions to the panelists using Slido. You can just enter in your questions, uh, and I'll see them here in my computer in front of me and can ask them to the panelists later. You can go ahead and start putting in your questions now if you already know what you'd like to ask. Uh, and I will save them for the end of the panel. So Paul, I'd like to start with a question for you. I know that you have been working on animal performance metrics. How important are animal performance metrics for reducing the climate impact of livestock? Hello, Dave, and hello to all those joining us here today. Uh, and I suppose firstly to say thank you for inviting me to participate in this very interesting topic. I suppose maybe just to give a little bit of background first in the context of, of who we are in Chalkisk and what we are doing, uh, and maybe a little bit of context for the Irish beef sector for the listeners uh, and those joining us here. Um, Chalkisk are the Irish Ag and Food Development Authority, so our role is to develop the agri-food sector in Ireland. So we have responsibility for education, 
advisory and research activities within the agri-food sector. And we work very closely, obviously, with the university sector, uh, such as University College Dublin, and I know Tommy Boland will be speaking uh, in, in, in a few moments, uh, and the other research institutes in Ireland. Um, the context for us, I suppose, is very much embedded within the European regulatory framework. So we have, obviously, the Green Deal, uh, and a requirement to reduce emissions by 50% by 2030 uh, and to be climate neutral by uh, by 2050. And we have, we have now enshrined that uh, in, in legislation in Ireland, and you've already mentioned, Dave, that we have a target for agriculture very specifically uh, of a 25% uh, reduction in emissions. And I suppose if we, if we step back a little bit and look at the context for uh, the research programme in Chagask on, uh, with respect to beef production, uh, I guess it comes under three broad headings, uh, economic sustainability, social sustainability, and of course, uh, our, our focus this afternoon, uh, environmental sustainability. But the first two contexts are really important for us, particularly economic sustainability. If we look at the beef sector in Ireland, our suckler farms have average farm incomes of in the order of 10,000 euros, and our non-suckling farms have average farm incomes of in the order of 15,000 euros. So you're looking at a sector where incomes, or farm incomes are between 10 and 15,000 euros. And, and that has really important implications for, for climate change adaptation and mitigation. So what can we uh, implement or what can we economically uh, roll out at farm level? Um, if we look at the, the, the type of activities that we need to, uh, or that we have, we have addressed in terms of reducing our greenhouse gas emissions, again, we can put them under three broad headings. We can look at increasing and improving the efficiency of our livestock sector. And our livestock sector is particularly important in Ireland. If we look at total output from agriculture, about 70% is, is derived from meat production and milk production. So clearly, you know, the ruminant and the livestock sector really important and, and making, you know, a very substantial contribution to total greenhouse gas emissions. So improving the efficiency of the livestock sector uh, is, is our, our starting point, if you like. Secondly, we can look at mitigation of greenhouse gas emissions. And I know Tommy will speak a little bit about that in the context of you know, feed additive research, looking at legumes uh, and so on. Uh, and then the final area is to contract the sector. And we would really see that as you know, a very negative approach uh, in the context of global demand for beef increasing. We know that from FAO projections, we are expected to increase you know, our, our production of beef or to meet consumption demand by 5% by 2030. So we have growing demand. Uh, at the same time, the Irish beef sector, you know, we're, we're pasture-based systems, uh, rain-fed uh, pasture-based uh, beef production uh, systems at farm level. Uh, we have a very efficient uh, system of, of beef production and thereby reducing or contracting production of an efficient producer at a time when uh, demand is growing uh, would be very counterproductive from a, from a, a global emissions perspective. So we see particularly improving efficiency as being a very, very important approach to reducing emissions from the livestock sector. Thanks. Let's go to Tommy next. So Tommy, Paul mentioned uh, that you are involved in the, the, the pasture-based livestock systems. Tell me, what are, the, what are the challenges of pasture-based livestock systems and how can those challenges be addressed? Yeah, thanks, Dave. And again, thanks to yourself and the organisers for giving me the opportunity to participate this afternoon. Maybe before we get into the challenges, I think we'll talk about some of the, the positive aspects of, of livestock production and pasture-based livestock production. And looking at the question from a global context, you know, livestock systems and pasture-based livestock systems are, are 
taking place right around the world. Uh, they're supporting the livelihoods either directly or indirectly of, of hundreds of millions, if not, not billions of people uh, in rural areas. And they make a really important contribution uh, to those rural economies. So our livestock production systems are, are really um, a global resource. And when we talk about ruminant livestock, perhaps the most important aspect of ruminant livestock production systems and one that's maybe often overlooked is the fact that ruminant livestock uh, take a product, uh, forages containing cellulose, which are otherwise unavailable for direct human consumption and convert those uh, plant materials into nutrient-dense meats and milks and, and, and other protein sources, which are not only highly desired, um, but highly beneficial in, in, in the human diet at a global scale. So that's a, a really important point to, to, to retain uh, as we enter into this conversation. Now, obviously, when we're using land for, for grazing livestock, um, grazing ruminant livestock, that land is not being used for some other purpose, let it be a forestation or, or, or other habitats that could reside on that land. So there, there are always trade-offs to be considered when we're looking at the utilization of land for pasture land uh, or for grazing ruminants. You indicated yourself, Dave, and Paul made reference as well uh, in, 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 your, in your opening uh, segments to the fact that enteric methane particularly is an important uh, greenhouse gas produced in livestock production systems. And that's one of the biggest challenges facing pasture-based uh, livestock production at the moment is how can we reduce uh, this methane that's being produced in a pasture-based systems? But it's not the only challenge. And I think it's important that we don't we don't become too focused on one individual metric uh, at the risk of, of maybe making a situation worse in, in, in other regards. There's ample evidence to show that under correct management, pasture lands can be very good carbon stores. Similarly, under um, inappropriate management, those pasture lands be can become carbon sinks and release carbon to the atmosphere. We're looking at a situation over the last uh, two years in particular, where we're seeing in pre increasing input costs, let that be fuel, uh, fertilizer, or feedstuffs into our ruminant livestock production systems. Uh, the availability of those inputs is becoming more challenging uh, in, in some situations as well. And that lends back very well to what Paul spoke about in terms of the efficiency within our systems and the absolute need to increase and to maximize the efficiency. So for each unit of carbon and for each unit of nitrogen or each unit of phosphorus that we're putting into our production system, that we're retaining as much of that input in animal product or within the system and minimizing the loss of those valuable and expensive nutrients uh, to the wider environment. The issue around reducing inputs, you know, particularly in, in the Irish context, I suppose one of the big areas we focus on is, is nitrogen fertilizer. Um, our, our, our systems here are, are grass-based. The vast majority of the feed resources going into our livestock, uh, into our cows and to our sheep, uh, is derived from either fresh grass or conserved grass. And the utilization of legume crops has an absolutely huge role to play um, in meeting that fertilizer nitrogen requirement. So we can shift away from a reliance on external chemical inputs to using more bio-based solutions and particularly in this instance the use of fertilizer or the use of legume crops uh, to um, utilize the atmospheric nitrogen which is available through that important uh, symbiotic process in the soil. With our pasture-based livestock production systems as well, they 
also have great opportunity to provide additional ecosystem services. Um, the soils on which these systems are run can serve as very important water storage resource, water filtration resource, and they also provide habitats for a whole range of, of biodiversity. So I think while there are challenges facing uh, pasture-based livestock production systems, there are a huge uh, global resource, a huge national resource in the two countries represented on this call this afternoon. And, and there's a lot of scope to enhance uh, the value of, of those systems and of those resources. Thanks a lot. So let's go to Mariana next. Mariana, you're very well positioned to talk about this because you guys at Embrapa have been working very intensively on this subject. What has been the Brazilian, Brazilian experience in reducing the carbon footprint of livestock farming? Thank you, Dave. Thank you, everyone. And thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, well, it's very nice to see that uh, we have uh, we share the challenges uh, across across the world, really, when we think about uh, pasture-based livestock systems. So I endorse everything that um, Paul mentioned, and uh, and I'm 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 gonna address some of the the issues or some of the the initiatives that we are. Uh, putting forward in Brazil to reduce the GHG emissions in livestock production. So I brought some uh, some slides to show you. So you can go to the next one, please. So in Brapa, we have been developing, we are a research corporation dedicated to tropical agriculture. And uh, our aim is to, to help farmers to produce more efficiently uh, with profitability and also sustainability. So we've been uh, doing this work since the 70s, and we are very successful in bringing um, the Cerrado, our savanna kind of uh, biome, which was believed to be unproductive in the past, and now is our major uh, place where we produce uh, over 200 tons uh, of uh, crops and uh, a very significant livestock production as well. So uh, we are, one of the plans we have uh, developing is to improve and promote the integrated livestock systems where you can have on the same land, on the same area, uh, basically three seasons in one year. And that's, that's possible because of our tropical agriculture. Uh, we started, we can start with crops, but we have to have livestock and sometimes forest involved in this, in this, in several different ways of combining this, these components and therefore increase production and efficiency uh, very, very fast. In one year, you can produce all of that. So let's go to the next, next um, uh, slide. So talking specifically about the carbon neutral Brazilian beef, we, we put forward, we developed in partnership with, uh, with Marfrig. You can go forward, please. Um, you can put all of them. It's going to be easier. Yes, thank you very much. So we developed uh, in partnership with Marfrig, a major slaughterhouse in Brazil, this protocol called carbon neutral Brazilian beef. 
Uh, the aim of this protocol is to neutralize the enteric methane emissions and add value to beef. Okay, so, so the idea was to uh, reduce the environmental impact of livestock by introducing trees in the systems in a way that the number of trees could offset by uh, could offset the, the emissions by uh, capturing the, the carbon in the trunks. You can go forward, please. Uh, and by doing that, these trees would add not only to to the system, not, not only for uh, in terms of the environmental impact, but also add um, add uh, value to the whole production, increasing the profitability of the system. Uh, so there is a potential premium price for farmers joining this protocol of 80%, sorry, 8% on, on top of the beef, the beef price. And there is also opportunity for diversification of the system and reducing the risks involved in the system, in the production systems. Uh, and you can use uh, the system with or without crops. Another one, please. These are only applied to consolidated farming areas. So the carbon neutral can only be applied to consolidated farming areas, places where you have already established the, the, the beef system, the beef farming. Okay? And the carbon sequestration happens in eucalyptus trees, but it has to be for a long-term use. So for example, in furniture. So you cannot burn these, this material. So this is a, a one, one of the several opportunities that farmers are um, facing in Brazil. And that could easily be also implemented in other countries such as, such as Ireland. Next one, please. The other protocol that we have been working on, uh, it's still under development, uh, is to acknowledge our huge uh, pasture-based beef systems in Brazil. And we are still suffering with some uh, lack of efficiency in the systems, as Paul mentioned. It's also a, a challenge for us in Brazil. So you can see on, on the one side, a typical farm. Many farms in Brazil uh, are still like this, underdeveloped or with a, a lot of uh, problems for management, pasture management. And what we want is the, what we want to achieve is the, the kind of system you see on the left uh, with a lot of uh, organic matter happening and the sequestration of, of, of carbon. Next, please. So we developed this, this other protocol called the low carbon Brazilian beef, which we think has a huge potential for farmers because we are pasture-based uh, beef production uh, uh, country. So the guidelines for this new protocol is that the farmer has to commit to a sustainable intensification project following the ABC plan that Dave mentioned earlier. We can talk about that later. Um, and then we have to monitor the, the evolution of the sea stock in the soil uh, at the establishment, which is the baseline, and every two years to understand the dynamic of the carbon in the soil. We also uh, account, uh, we use the, the emissions, the accounts based on farm data and IPCC indicators for methane emission per cow. So that's, we use good and robust 
um, metrics to to analyze the the, the potential of uh, of of uh, reduction of these emissions, and then we analyze the mitigation level comparing the sea emissions and the sequestration in the systems, so that we make sure that the system, uh, after applying the the protocol, is actually uh, improving the 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 whole environmental sustainability and lowering the the carbon the carbon emissions next please so uh the success of, of this of these protocols really depend on further adoption of these these protocols by farmers uh we also need to improve the 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 finance available for farmers to get started with the with the implementation and also uh, work better with the environmental services and the carbon market. We need to really uh, get to this point where farmers can perceive the benefits of carbon markets. Uh, build capacity, uh, capacity building is important in training for extension professionals to support farmers in this move towards these uh, new protocols. And of course, science and technology will continue to play a, a key role in further developments of these protocols, but not only these, but everything related to topic, tropical agriculture and, um, and, and reducing the environmental impact of beef production systems in Brazil and everywhere else. So I think that's me for now. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Mariana. Uh, so, you know, now we've heard about some of those measures, some of those policies. Let's find out next how those are being implemented actually on the ground. We'll turn to Luisa. Luisa, how are farms in Brazil improving land management given uh, all of the different programs that we just heard about? Thank you, Dave. Afternoon, everyone. First of all, I would like to thank Apex and Euractiv for this opportunity to represent and talk on behalf of the 70 members of GTPS, the Brazilian Roundtable on Sustainable Livestock. We combine on a single roundtable representatives from several sectors of the supply chain, such as producers, financial institutions, industry, civil society, input and service, retail and restaurants searching for the development of sustainable livestock for the last 15 years. We were the first roundtable to be formed in the world and to discuss this issue. Nowadays, there are another 11 roundtables. So, as Dave said, since the COVID, COVID pandemic broke out, food security has been imminent threatened. Brazil plays a vital role in securing the world's food supplies, particularly in protein production. With that, we also have a big responsibility in providing food with sustainability. So how are we are doing that? Uh, I would like to emphasize three main points. First of all, the word Brazil, it's a name of a tree. Uh, that's because around 65% of the Brazilian territory is covered by forest. Of those, 43% of the Brazilian native vegetation is preserved within private rural properties. And that happens because of the Brazilian Forest Code that we can talk a little bit more later. The second point that I would like to talk about is specifically about emissions. Our herd is increasing, as you know, and with that, it also its emissions. But an interesting thing is that the methane emissions per cattle head is decreasing. 
So we can easy, easily explain that because of the productivity has increased in efficiency and also technology. And because of the increase in the forage digestibility rate. Uh, and the third point is that, in my perspective, our biggest challenge is to bring and apply knowledge and technology to more than 2.5 million livestock properties in the country. Our sector is divided with small areas, less than 20 hectares each. As Mariana said, it's a big challenge. Um, the message I would like to leave is that the biggest private company in Brazil, in Brazil's beef industry are investing heavily in sustainable practices and also in technical assistance. They are already measuring and carrying out diagnosis of their suppliers and are fully committed to sustainability. Brazil is not a right risk supplier, but rather has great potential to produce more food in a sustainable way with this challenge of increasing its production by 5% by 2050 to feed 9 billion people in the world. And also, uh, soon we will also be the largest supplier of, our, of carbon credits in the world, com contributing to the mitigation of the other emitting sectors. So that's in my perspective, Brazil agribusiness is part of the solution on climate change. Thanks very much. So we've heard about some of the measures in Ireland. We've heard about some of the measures in Brazil. Now let's talk about how those two things intersect, uh, what they can learn from each other. Let's go back to the Irish case. Um, so I was mentioning before that the Irish government has set this ceiling for agricultural emissions. So that's a 25% reduction by 2030 compared to 2018 levels. Brazil also has 2030 targets. Um, Paul, I'd like to go to you with this first. Um, in terms of measuring the progress, right? That's really the key, is, is being able to measure uh, the, the progress on these various targets. How is Ireland going to measure the progress toward these new targets that are in place? Yeah, that's a really, really good question, Dave. And it's, it's obviously critically important that not only are the technologies deployed at farm level, you know, so we, we conduct the research, we develop, we develop the solutions, if you like, and have those deployed at farm level, it's equally important that we have a system in place whereby we can actually measure the level of, of, of uptake and equally what the emissions uh, impact and emissions reduction impact of that is. Um, we, we work very closely with the Environmental Protection Agency, with the EPA, uh, in, if you like, refining or, or developing emission factors. So we have to publish the data, obviously, it has to be peer-reviewed. Where we have new emission factors or where we can show improvements in technologies, then they can be implemented and recognized in our in our infantries. Um, probably from an efficiency perspective, um, there are probably three broad approaches. Um, if we look at it from the animal side, it's a reproductive performance at, at, at herd levels. So obviously age at first calving, where age at first calving is closer to two years of age uh, rather than three years of age. And th those are really your two options in a seasonal calving uh, herd. Uh, that obviously reduces the emissions burden until the animal calves for the first time. And crucially, it, it also improves profitability at farm level. Secondly, live weight performance, where we have improved live weight performance. Obviously, this is something that farmers aim to achieve anyway. Uh, but where we can achieve that and get good gains in live weight performance, uh, it reduces the time to slaughter, thereby again reducing methane and total emissions generated from the animal system. Uh, and the final area of, of efficiency improvements is around feed management and feed provision. 
And so if we look at those three areas within our inventory approach, uh, we, we have opportunities to recognize improvements, particularly if we look at age at slaughter as one example. In the, in the past 12 years, so if we go back to 2010, up until the present day, uh, our farm sector have reduced age at slaughter by on average 60 days. So that's a very substantial reduction in slaughter age with no change in carcass weight. Uh, so a very, very uh, you know, clear uh, efficiency improvement. And that is recognized in our inventories in the context of the number of animals at the older age groupings uh, when, when they assess uh, total emissions from the sector. The final area, I suppose, that we are, we, are, we are focusing on is genetic improvement. And we work closely with the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation in this respect. Um, where we are trying to, uh, uh, what we are trying to develop at present is a, a methane efficiency uh, metric or a methane efficiency trait. Uh, so we have, we have evidence and we published a paper, a colleague of mine, Paul Smith, published a paper last year that showed a 30% difference between the top third and the bottom third of a cohort of animals. So these were phenotypes rather than, than genotypes, but it did provide uh, a proof of concept that there are differences available within a population of animals. So clearly we can breed uh, for, for um, improvements or reductions uh, in methane emissions. As part of a, a project we're currently working at on uh, Meat Technology Ireland, so we're working closely with the meat industry uh, and also with the Irish State funded through Enterprise Ireland, uh, we are looking at you know, a whole of life methane emissions uh, profile. So a life cycle analysis for the whole of life cycle for various categories of animals. At present, we use predictive equations. So the IPCC defaults, uh, and they are broadly fine uh, in respect of, of, of most of many of our systems. But we, we know and we have, we have uh, evidence that for, for our pasture-based systems, um, the, the methane efficiency metrics in particular, the methane, the methane emissions coefficients uh, may be overpredicted. So we are looking at improving and generating Irish-specific uh, efficiency metrics. But the, 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 the key issue here is conducting the research, uh, getting it published, uh, and having it available for implementation uh, in our inventory so that it can be tracked through to 2030. Well, of course, there is what is measured and there is what isn't measured. Um, so Tabi, I also want to ask you about this, this question of how uh, the metrics work. Uh, but also, I wanted to ask you about, you know, right now, accounting doesn't take into account carbon sequestration, for instance. Um, how might that factor in to measuring these targets? Should carbon sequestration be accounted for when we're, when we're looking at the progress here? Well, currently, if you look at different systems uh, around the world, um, there are various policies being put in place um, to account for, for carbon removals as well as carbon emissions uh, at a farming system level. Uh, in New Zealand, uh, they're, they're well on the way to each farmer having a, essentially a carbon budget on their farms. There are a number of conversations taking place in Ireland around the same topic that each farm will have a number for the carbon removals uh, and the carbon emissions at an individual farm level. And I, I think there's the whole question, there is a measurement piece there, Dave, and there's also a kind of an analysis piece. Measurement of something like carbon sequestration at individual farm level is, is, is almost impossible, I would think. Even at a national scale, there's such variation in, in soil type, um, such variation in soil management, 
Um, and the changes that you see in carbon levels in soil are actually quite subtle. And you take a, you take a, a long, long time perspective to, to actually measure those. In our grassland context, um, we would have a lot of grasslands on, on mineral soils. We would have a smaller acreage or area of grassland on peatland soils, uh, which have been drained um, to, to make use of them for, for agricultural purposes. And there's about a tenfold difference in the quantity of mineral soils compared to peatland soils that we'd have in the country. Our mineral soils would be net sequesters uh, of, of carbon. However, our peatland soils would be net sources of carbon, so emitting, emitting carbon uh, to the environment. So the whole question around accounting for, for carbon removals from, from the system is really, really important. But it's a very complex area to get down to individual numbers on a farm scale using uh, some of those emissions factors and some of those, uh, I suppose, wider scale metrics that Paul mentioned, it's more possible maybe to get to it on a national scale, but for an individual farm scale, it's something that will be remain challenging to really get that granularity of data we require. Mariana, looking at what Ireland is uh, aiming for in 2030, what do you think are some of the lessons from Brazil that might be uh, interesting as Ireland moves forward in this process? Well, I guess um, this idea of integrating uh, farming systems, integrating uh, different components is a is a very positive and many countries we know are trying to find good opportunities and good matches because uh, we can work with the synergies uh, amongst all the components for this. Uh, I think in, in Europe, uh, it's more called as a mixed farming. Uh, so we can work with the synergies and try to reduce risk increase profitability and long-term uh, long productivity efficiency increases. So uh, I would invite, uh, of course, I, you probably have something similar, but perhaps not at the scale that we are working with. Uh, we were lucky enough to have a very well-developed uh, industry, forestry industry, where um, uh, there is a, no a lot of knowledge around the eucalyptus and it grows fast. So it makes it really viable for Brazil to work with these integrated farming systems, particularly with the silvopastoral, when we think about a neutralization of carbon, of methane emissions. And um, yeah, that, that could be something to look, look at. Uh, perhaps with uh, uh, less of the limitations of we might have because uh, in, in Brazil, because we are such a big country, uh, we have clusters where, where the forestry industry can work at and uh, it, it makes it a bit difficult for other farmers in places where they don't have the industry around to implement those, those systems. So, um, yeah, it's a matter of logistics. Logistics matter a lot in, in this situation. So, yeah, I would, I would encourage that kind of um, approach. 
So there are obviously a lot of differences between Ireland and Brazil, many, uh, but one of the first ones that might come to mind is the weather and the very different climate. Um, Luisa, let's, let's drill in here on the specifics of the Brazilian climate and, and farming techniques and how Brazil has worked with uh, the, the climate that it has. What is generally thought to be the best type of tropical agriculture for efficiency and climate impact? Um, it, it, what's, what's kind of the consensus there? Okay, thank you, Dave. Uh, it's a good question. Actually, I think Mariana mentioned something like that about the integrated crops. I think it's the main model of production that it's very good that we can use, we can carry out uh, free crops at the same area in the same year, as she said, and, uh, and we can also merge soybean, corn, and cattle. And so it's possible to increase the productivity by reducing uh, the land use and also the slaughterage. There are many opportunities in, in the production specifically because we, uh, as Mariana said, we have a big challenge of the number of properties. So many of them are not yet using all the technology they could use, managing all the numbers and the data they could. So uh, they are not making the better decisions of uh, the model of production. So yet we have this challenge to uh, let them know all about this and uh, be more, ex uh, more accessible for them, this kind of technology and credits uh, lines also. It's uh, another thing that we could uh, improve. Uh, and about the reduction the, the, of emissions, uh, we have this opportunity to reduce the slaughter rate. I think this is the biggest uh, thing that we could act directly in the next few years. I think that's it. Well, Paul, I know that, as I mentioned, that the climate, of course, in Ireland is very different from Brazil. But of course, anywhere that you're farming, you always have to work with the, the local conditions. Can you tell me a little bit about how these ideas, these technologies, these methods are being deployed at farm level on the ground in Ireland? Yeah, and I suppose just in terms of the climatic uh, comparison, uh, we have, a, I suppose, a very benign or a very benign climate, and a very a climate that's very conducive to uh, growing high yields of highly nutritious pasture. Uh, so we will comfortably grow twelve to fifteen tons of pasture uh, consistently year on year. And um, we have a very seasonal profile. So in line with that, our systems are predominantly spring calving, and the objective for both our dairy and our suckler beef herd is to align calving dates with the grass grazing season so that as, as the nutritional demand of the cow herd uh, increases, uh, the availability of pasture uh, is, 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 is uh, uh, more available for, for cattle. In terms of deployment, um, there, are, there are two broad um, areas of work that we're involved in at the moment. Uh, firstly, the signpost uh, program. The signpost program is a multi-annual campaign to uh, foster climate action at farm level. So there are two aspects to this. Uh, firstly, we have a network of demonstration farms around the country, uh, and those farms will, uh, we will work very, very closely with those farms to implement uh, specific technologies to reduce the carbon footprint on those farms. So we're looking at the carbon footprint, but also absolute emissions, uh, so that they will provide us with a, a, a if you like, a signpost, uh, 
to what uh, other farms within the within those enterprises can do. So that's the first component of the signpost farms. The second component is working with the full population of farmers around the country. So using the demonstration farmers almost as, as a guide for what other farmers can do. Clearly it will be enterprise specific, it'll be regional specific, it'll be uh, soil type specific. So on our demonstration farms, we, we will have a, an ability because we're working very closely with them. We will have an, an ability to measure in much more detail, you know, what specifically is happening, what is working on those farms. Uh, a number of those farms have uh, eddy covariance flux towers, so we'll be able to measure uh, carbon fluxes at, at, at uh, farm level. Uh, so looking at the impact of different pasture management technologies, uh, pasture manage, management measures and so on. Uh, on a number of those farms, we'll also take deep soil cores to see what's happening uh, under the soil layer uh, and, and to get a measure of soil carbon fluxes in that respect. The second uh, major area of work, uh, and Tommy alluded to this as well, is providing farmers with a tool whereby they can actually uh, assess or, or by virtue of a web app or a phone app, uh, measure the impact of, of, of management changes on their farm. So whether that's breeding changes, uh, live weight performance, whether it's uh, feed provision and feed management, uh, slurry management, what is the impact of adopting different uh, different measures on each farm? So we're calling that the uh, digital sustainability platform, uh, and that will provide farmers and advisors and, and industry personnel with an opportunity to to assess, you know, the efficacy both from the point of view of carbon, but also, and I keep going back to it because it's really important at farm level, the economic implications of uh, the deployment of various technologies. We must always remember that. Uh, you know, the, the, the deployment of these technologies will be predicated on whether there is an economic incentive for farmers to do so. Some of that will be efficiency measures that we've mentioned already. So some of those will be measures that, uh, you know, inherently will improve profitability. Uh, and those with some uh, support and some advisory uh, 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 incentivization uh, should be reasonably straightforward to, to be deployed. Others, um, feed additive treatments, for example, perhaps, uh, you know, slurry amendments, slurry treatments, where there is a cost, but perhaps not a huge benefit from a farm perspective, from a farm output or a farm cost perspective. In, in some of those situations, it may require incentivization from state or from, from EU. So, as I said, in some cases, there are efficiency measures, uh, and in other cases where it's direct mitigation and it's a cost on farm, uh, there will need to be some incentivization to, to ensure the maximum deployment. Mariana, I wanted to come back to something you touched upon uh, in the beginning, which is this ABC Plus plan. So this is something that the Brazilian Ministry of Agriculture, Livestock and Supply created in April 2021, uh, specifically for the adaptation of agriculture to low carbon emissions systems. Tell us a little bit about what the core elements are to that plan. Thank you, Dave. Uh, well, actually, uh, it's the second round. We are in the second round of the plan because uh, we had a first phase uh, running from 2010 to 2020 and where the government established some priorities, priority areas to promote as uh, low carbon, uh, to promote the low carbon farming systems 
throughout the country and uh, amongst all sorts of uh, production systems and, and uh, agriculture in general, not only beef farming. So you can see here on this slide that uh, the first phase, we had this uh, idea of uh, restoring degraded pasture, which is a major uh, bottleneck for beef farming in Brazil. And we had this uh, aim to achieve uh, 15 million hectares but we actually end up with 17 and a half million uh, restored with degraded pasture. Uh, oh, sorry, that's degraded pasture, 15 million. But with the integrated crop livestock forest, we had this uh, uh, target of 4 million. We end up with 17 million hectares uh, established with some, uh, some type of integrated uh, crop livestock forestry, which was a major, uh, even a surprise for, you know, the level of uptake of, of these systems. We also had animal waste management, 4 million uh, meter, cubic meter. So the idea of the first round was to mitigate 170 million tons of CO2 equivalent, which was quite ambitious. And in general, considering all the, the, the lines of, of action, we end up uh, surpassing the 115% of the overall target of the, the phase. It was such a success that they decided to, to increase and, and uh, bring forward new, new uh, lines, such as the irrigation systems and also the intensive fattening, which were not included in the first stage. So in the second stage that we called ABC+, Plus, we, we are aiming at to restore uh, another 30 million hectares on degraded pasture. And here, when we say degraded pasture, we mean um, all levels of degradation, okay? Because it's not totally degraded. Some, some of them are, are in the first or medium, uh, in, stages of degradation but we are we are planning to bring them uh, back to production uh, another 10 million of, of hectares of uh, integrated farming systems 208 million uh, cubic meters of animal waste management including uh, various uh, areas not only beef cattle uh, feedlots but also uh, pork and, and other and uh, biogas and other uh, opportunities and include intensive fattening of 5 million animals. So as we said, we are pasture-based uh, systems. So we have a, a huge opportunity to, to finish uh, animals earlier if we start doing more of, of intensive fattening, as, as Luisa mentioned. Uh, we need to reduce our slaughter age. We reduced already. It used to be 48 months. Uh, nowadays is around between 30 and 36 months of age, but we can do better. And with all this plan uh, in, in practice, we are expecting to mitigate a billion ton of CO2 equivalent uh, throughout this 10-year period. And uh, so the, the plan is really to promote and to help farmers to implement these this actions on the farm and uh, not only by demonstration farms as uh, Paul mentioned we also have demonstration farms we have uh, research plots and but also through finance so there is a plan specific to support 
farmers financially to implement these these areas. Great. Let's let's move on to forestry in particular, because when we're talking about land management uh, by in the agricultural sector, obviously forestry is a really really big focus. Luisa, um, I know that Brazil has this Brazilian forest code. Um, how is that translating into action by farmers for better land management, or or by landowners even, just landowners? Um, and what lessons do you think might there be in that for other countries? Okay, great question. Yeah, actually, the Brazilian Forest Code uh, already indicates that each rural property must have a percentage of their property preserved with native vegetation. This percentage, this percentage varies on behalf of the biome they are uh, they are in. So if the property uh, are in Amazon biome, for example, they have to uh, preserve 80% of the property. If it's in Cerrado, another biome, it's 35% of the property that has to be preserved. So it's uh, a unique cold in the world. I think only Paraguay has something similar, but it's uh, the percentage is smaller than ours. Uh, it's a big challenge for the producer to have this part of the area uh, because it's a cost for them. They have to uh, take care of it, don't let anybody invade the area or also don't let uh, fire uh, to get in the area many things so it's a big cost for the for the rural producers and it's a challenge to take care of that but also it's a big opportunity if we see that they are adding uh, biodiversity in their product so we are not exporting or selling only meat or uh, soybean we are already uh, also in uh, exporting biodiversity because in these areas they have animals and a uh, uh, a lot of kind of uh, forest and plants also. So it's opportunity also for us to start valuing this, this kind of biodiversity. How can we value that? Embrapa is, I think it's also investigating these kind of things and how we are going to add value on that, but it's a big challenge. And it's also in Brazilian forest code, we have an article uh, in, the, in this law, we have an article that says that's payment for environmental service that we call it uh, that we could uh, uh, the the, pro the private properties could uh, receive money for that also tommy how does this compare with forestry in ireland yes they've the when I hear the figures of afforestation in Brazil, you know, it's quite different to what we, we have here in Ireland. Uh, the current land cover under forestry in the country is around 10 to 11% of the total land area. And that's very small in comparison to Brazil. It's very small in comparison to our, to our European colleagues and neighbours. It has increased um, quite substantially from the beginning of the 1900s. But there have been various reports and various targets set um, as we have this target of, of, of climate neutral agriculture and climate neutrality by, by 2050. And many of those reports would suggest that we need to reach a, a forestry cover area of about 18% of total land cover uh, by 2050. 
to to get there, we would require an annual afforestation rate of around eighteen thousand hectares. Uh, at the moment, our current afforestation rate sits at just under two thousand hectares. That's really, while the numbers are small, perhaps in a Brazilian context, that's a really uh, large target and a, and a difficult target uh, for us to achieve. Uh, Paul has made reference to it already that there's quite a lot of incentives offered uh, to Irish landowners and within the Irish agricultural system by by government. And recently, the government have highlighted or brought out a scheme to support the afforestation of, of tracts of land and, and, and individual farms uh, right around the country, whereby the landowner will receive an initial payment um, to plant the land in forestry and then uh, an annual payment as well to support uh, the farmers who have moved their land from, from let it be, agricultural production in, into the forestry area. And, and that scheme is, is generating quite a lot of attention at the moment, uh, even though there are maybe still some, some policy challenges uh, there, which will um, slow down that, that rate of uptake. The question around biodiversity as well, which is very closely aligned with, with, with the whole debate between land use for, 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 for grasslands or for tillage or for, or for forestry is something that's receiving a lot of, te- a lot of attention at the moment. And, we have a national citizens assembly, which is representative of the population of Ireland, which get together to discuss uh, important issues of the day. Uh, and one of the main recommendations around the citizens assembly on biodiversity is that biodiversity actually becomes enshrined in the national constitution, which was essentially give nature a legal status in, in our constitution. On our farms, while we have a relatively low land coverage as, as forestry, we do have quite a lot of habitat uh, and semi-natural habitats within our farmed areas, predominantly in, in the format of hedgerows. Um, and, you know, when we compare ourselves to our European neighbours or some of our international neighbours, that percentage of the farmed or the land area under agriculture dedicated to these habitats and semi-natural habitats is, is quite high. And, you know, that's something we're grappling with at the moment is how do we account for not only the biodiversity value of that area, but the carbon storage value of that area as well. Well, let's go to some questions that have come in from the audience via Slido. Uh, First question I'll put to Paul. The question is from Andreas Pilziker from the European Commission's Agriculture Department. What about methane from cattle? We speak here about carbon sequestration mainly. Is this easier than methane mitigation? Yeah, and I think all of the technologies that I have referred to are directly addressing methane from cattle in the sense that where we have greater efficiency, uh, we produce uh, more more carcass output uh, with lower methane emissions. Or look at it in another way, uh, for the same amount of methane, we produce more carcass output. You know, so um, we we are really looking at trying to dilute the amount of emissions over greater outputs. So from a reproductive performance perspective, where we can calve earlier, uh, where we have higher calving rates, we have the same overhead of the subtle cow, uh, the same overhead of the progeny, uh, and we divide that over greater beef, similarly with uh, age at slaughter. If we can reduce age at slaughter with the same carcass weight, uh, we reduce methane uh, per per kilo of beef carcass produced. Um, Again, with a stable herd, that will see us reducing uh, reducing methane emissions, uh, absolute emissions from the sector. I also mentioned uh, the the um, ambition around genetics, that we have evidence that we can breed animals that have lower methane emissions. Uh, we are working very closely with our colleagues in the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation to uh, to include that trait in our composite breeding indexes. 
so that the next generation of cattle that are bred in Ireland uh, will have lower methane emissions for, for each unit of intake that they consume, uh, which is the absolute value that's used in our inventory. And again, that's the important metric. It's what's counted, uh, is most important. Um, but also from, a, from an LCA, from a life cycle and assessment perspective, that we have lower emissions per kilo of beef carcass that were produced. Because again, from a con consumer's perspective, it's the carbon footprint, what appears on your plate uh, when, you're, when you're served a, a meat dish, a beef dish. It's the emissions intensity of that that the consumer is concerned with. But from a policy perspective, uh, and equally importantly, uh, it's the inventory. Just to make a point uh, around offsetting, if you like, uh, between intensive feeding uh, and age at slaughter, we did look at, um, you know, how what is the most efficient way of reducing slaughter age? And in fact, if we reduce slaughter age by uh, intensive feeding, so concentrate feeding uh, uh, meal rations, uh, that actually offsets to quite a significant extent uh, the emissions reduction from methane. So what we are trying to do is, is, is develop a suite of technologies whereby a combination of, of better beef genetics, both from the point of view of carcass performance and methane emissions, better animal health, and there is some evidence, and there's quite a bit of evidence. Uh, I know there's a paper being prepared at the moment uh, from Animal Health Ireland, which shows the effect of parasitic infection and respiratory infection on slaughter age, in other words, on animal performance. So we need good herd health, uh, and we need good feed management. So high quality feed available to animals at all time, high quality forage feed available to animals at all time to reduce slaughter age. And all of those will reduce the methane overhead per kilo of carcass and per unit of intake of the animal. Tommy, you wanted to come in on this as well? Yeah, I think it follows on well from Paul's point there around feed quality. We've, and in work with, which Paul was also involved in, we've reached, recently shown that we can we can reduce the, the carbon footprint of beef production systems by 15% by simply by changing the forage we offer to our, to our livestock, by integrating more species into the grazing sward, so moving from a grass-only sward to grass, legumes and herbs. And there's a double dividend in, in that regard in terms of not only reducing the carbon footprint of the beef, in a fixed number of animals in a herd, we're reducing the total carbon output from that system, but we're also increasing the profitability quite substantially. And it goes back again directly to what both Paul and Mariana have all already referred to as reducing that slaughter age. We're slaughtering the animals at the same carcass weight for the same level of beef, for the same quality of beef. In fact, the quality is increased. Um, from reduced fertilizer nitrogen inputs and reducing the slaughter age by about 45 to 50 days. The whole question around mitigating and reducing methane is a really, really important topic, but it's a very difficult challenge. Let's not uh, pretend it's not in, in a pasture-based system when you're looking at a feed additive type approach. Feed additives have much more applicability in an indoor fed, intensively finished TMR type system where the animals are being fed a prepared ration every day. In a pasture, in rangeland, in grasslands, uh, we still need to do a lot more work developing the delivery systems, with, which will allow some of these really exciting feed additives to be delivered to the animals in an appropriate manner to generate that methane reduction. Mariana, the next question is for you. It comes from Neri Ozer. How was it or will it be achieved to contact, inform, contact and inform each and every farm to have the protocols implemented. Who, what has been the progress so far since the Paris Agreement or COP26? So how has that communication with the farms worked in Brazil? 
Okay, thank you for the question. Uh, we actually, we because of the, the ABC plan, uh, it plays a major role in promoting these this initiatives. So we kind of pick back on that and uh, inform farmers throughout the country by various medias, you know. So uh, we, we give a lot of talks. Uh, we have to remember that Imbrapa is, uh, we have 47 research units throughout the country and all of them work as not only research development spaces, but also as a technology transfer um, area. So we, we work with farmers in all the states either through the, the demonstration farms, as Paul mentioned, we also have demonstration farms where we have few days and bring farmers to show the results. We, like myself, I run so many talks about it and I work with the economics of the, the beef system. So I do all the analysis of, uh, of this integrated farming systems uh, to show that it is economically viable for them to, to implement so, and that's the, I would say that that's the trigger point for uh, adoption. That's the first step. And, and then we, we also, we have a, a lot of radio programs and, and shows. And so we, we really get the word out there. And I guess uh, there was a major change that has been, it has been happening the, the, in the past. It would be much more difficult to talk about carbon uh, or any environmental issues uh, where farmers wouldn't see cl the clear benefit of, of working uh, with these concepts. Nowadays, uh, I think research develops so much that it's much more clear for them the benefits of, of um, reducing the carbon footprint because we are showing there is an association between uh, improving the environmental conditions of, of beef farming and profitability. Uh, so everything we do for for to reduce the, the impact, and we, there is a, a, a an outcome, an economic outcome, which is in general positive. So it's it's much easier to to promote something that is profitable than something else. So I just, if you allow me, I would just make a very come a very quick comment. On, on the fattening uh, system that I mentioned before, just to make clear that everybody understand what I'm talking about. Because in Brazil, because we are pasture-based, when we say uh, we wanna do, we wanna uh, run more intensive fattening, uh, we usually have feedlots only for three months. So just at the end of the, the, the fattening phase. So just to give that layer of, of uh, fat the animals need so it's basically pasture based with a little bit of grains at the end three months so that's the intensive the intensive fattening that we are talking about not feedlots okay so just just to clarify that point thank you thanks a lot so uh, the next question is for tommy this question is from liam mounzi uh, Tommy, were we here in Ireland not wrong in promoting clover swards 35 years ago to have productive grass-fed swards and start soil first, but equally we must have our grasses correct. Clover has been the secret of self-nitrating, but for me we were slow in promoting sward correct 
first. What would you say to that? I'm not sure I fully understand the wording of the question, Dave, to be honest with you, but I think that the, the opportunity exists certainly at the moment um, to utilize Clover a, a lot more than it has been heretofore, um, and there are various schemes in place as well to support the utilization of Clover in our in our sword systems. I think it's it's difficult to change, uh, not impossible to change, or is impossible to change what happened 35 years ago. Uh, today we have the opportunity to change what what we're doing today, and you know there's ample research evidence, there's ample um, application evidence coming from 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 research centres and farms around the country to show the importance uh, and the value that can be delivered by incorporating clover into our grazing sports. There are also challenges with clover, um, in clover incorporation. And Paul made reference to our seasonal systems and our seasonal calving systems and in those seasonal systems, there is quite a high demand for grass, for grazed herbage, uh, very early in our season, in, in, in you know, into February, maybe late January in some cases. And clover won't be active at that time of the year. But there's huge value in clover um, as a feedstuff compared to a grass ward. It's a higher feeding value. It's, it, it, it fixes actually, it fixes nitrogen, atmospheric nitrogen, reduces the, the chemical fertilizer inputs. Um, and I made reference to some work we've, we've been doing in University College Dublin, uh, looking at more diverse sports. And we've also looked at, at clover-based sports in that in that research. And you know the benefits are seen from clover-based sports, so uh, ryegrass and white clover. Are, are almost directly in line with, with what we're seeing from our multi-species sport. So there, there's um, huge benefits to be gained from the from the average farmer uh, or for the average farmer in more incorporation of clover while recognizing the challenge of in, including those legumes into sports. Great, thanks. So the next question is for Louisa. This question is from Neri Ozer. Um, how do farmers measure reductions in carbon emissions by livestock? Or is there a standard percentage based on generic calculations? How do they transmit to or exchange data with public agencies? Okay, thank you. I think Mariana could help me also in this question. But it's um, what we use it normally is the GAG protocol to, they, to make the inventories of the farmers. But it's not that common because of the high costs of that. Uh, but also we have another forms of calculation. Uh, now, nowadays, the Embrapa is making a, 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 calcul a calculation, a calculator, to to uh, to to have this all this data, and each manager, each farmer can access that. It's free. Uh, to calculate this the the carbon emissions, but not the sequestration. Mariana, if you you can say something to add. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, we have to remember we have um, over five million farmers in Brazil. A lot of them work with cattle, dairy, and beef. So uh, in Brazil, these, these measurements are really uh, done on a voluntary, uh, voluntary way. So farmers, are, this is not compulsory. So farmers would have to join a particular protocol like Embrapa, or there are other protocols from, uh, from slaughterhouses that are proposing to measure uh, these, these, uh, all these take all these metrics 
from from internationally acknowledged uh, methodologies and uh, but that's all uh, farmers on initiatives to join these programs so there is no no uh, obligation of providing that kind of data and uh, it's it's a starting let's put this way it, the whole the whole move towards this uh, it, this uh, carbon footprint measurement is starting there is a lot of uh, controversy as well and as we mentioned because we are pasture based and our systems are not really uh, well represented in the the international metrics we are still working uh, on developing the metrics and the methodologies to to bring to the debate and uh, to be accounted for in, in future metrics we have another question for you Mariana from the audience this question is from Niall Monahan from the Australian Embassy in Brussels. How many years away are we from a developed carbon credit market in Brazil? Well, that's that's a, the one million dollar question. <laughs> if I knew that answer, I would be rich by now. But uh, yeah, it's it's challenging. It's uh, it's there. Are, there is a lot of uh, discussion around it. A lot of debate. A lot of uh, workshops about it. But unfortunately, we don't have a, a final position about that. So unfortunately, I cannot really fully answer this question. No worries. I'm going to ask, put another question to you, Mariana. It's the last question before we wrap okay. up. Uh, this question is from Renato Valim. Uh, the, this integration of crops and livestock that you talked about is interesting because it preserves the land, reduces the application of fertilizers, and also agricultural pesticides, correct? Is this not also a way of preserving the environment as a whole, as well as helping to combat global warming? So is there, are there other benefits to that practice? Thank you very much for that question. Exactly. Well, when you think about a farm as a production unit, uh, let's imagine we are looking from the top of the farm. What, what you see in Brazil is like, as, as Luisa mentioned, we have from 20 to 80% of our farms, uh, of the area of the farm, preserved as native forest. So, we are just talking about the, the remainder of the area being used with uh, whatever system farmers decide to use. So when we are talking about the integrated farming system, the beauty of this of these uh, systems is exactly the, the synergy between all the components and how they uh, help the next one. So to give an example, uh, when you have the crop, the, all the fertilization that is used for the crop, the pasture that follows will benefit from that and then will develop the, the roots further and, and that will benefit the next crop coming afterwards. So uh, it does reduce the, the, the need for pesticides and, and nitrogen and all, all of that because um, you break the cycle of the of the plagues, and you have to remember that in Brazil we are a tropical country with water, heat, and easy for for bugs to develop and, and procreate. So, 
it's a huge issue uh, for us to control that that and using the the crop disintegrated crop systems farming systems you actually benefit the whole system and they they actually work as uh also as areas for the fauna and flora to develop so they work in in synergy with with the nature so it has a huge potential for uh biodiversity for uh reducing the the environmental impact of the overall farming system so yeah it's it's a it's a very interesting and we encourage that that farming system wherever possible thanks so we're just about out of time but before we go i did want to get one really quick final takeaway from each of you uh, so if each of you in just 30 seconds one sentence What's your key takeaway from today's discussion? The thing that jumped out to you as the most interesting thing we talked about during this panel. Paul, let's start with you. I think the thing that jumped out for me, Dave, is that we have a lot of similar challenges in the two countries uh, and equally that there is still a very substantial potential to reduce emissions by simply adopting best practice on farms. We have to always remember, I think, that you know the economic imperative to, to adopt technologies is challenging in the beef sector uh, and that so we, we need to always consider economics alongside uh, the deployment of the technology. Tommy, what's your key takeaway? I think my key takeaway Dave is that the focus on challenges and solutions um, and, and maybe to some, to some context the absence of discussion around food that's actually produced in our livestock based systems they are a key component of food production systems within both Brazil and Ireland and internationally, it's important we don't lose sight of the food that's produced within the systems as we discuss the challenges and how to address those challenges. Mariana, key takeaway? Well, they kind of said what I want to say, but uh, yeah, I think uh, we we are on this boat together and we need to promote sustainable beef farming systems. And we are part of the solution, I guess, and, and, and not to blame for it. And finally, Louisa, your key takeaway. Yes, I also understand that we have a lot to know, to learn with each other. So this kind of exchange meetings are very important. And also that our resilient, the resilient kind of systems of production in Brazil, it's part of the solution on climate change, no doubt of that. Great. Well, I think this is, has been a great way to exchange different ideas in two very different countries with very different climates. But you see a lot of the same challenges and a lot of the same solutions that are being implemented in both. So it was really interesting to hear from all of you on both sides of the Atlantic uh, about what's happening in your respective countries on this climate change journey that the whole world is on. So thank you so much to the panelists for joining us today. And thank you to you at home for spending your evening, if you're, your late afternoon and evening, if you're here in Europe or your afternoon, uh, if you're in Brazil. And we'll see you here for the next live debate coming at you from the heart of Brussels. <laughs>